Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 342nd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. This Urban Farm Podcast is brought to you by the 2018 Food Revolution Summit. I say food choices are our most important factor to staying healthy. The Food Revolution Summit helps us in this discovery process. It's free, online, and features 24 top food and health experts, teaching us how to reduce the risk of the most notable diseases of our time. Visit urbanfarm.org forward slash summit to sign up for this life-changing event. Today on our podcast, we have someone who wants you to use your doctor as a valuable resource. We're talking with Dr. Ken Berry about discussing health with your doctor. Ken is a family physician, speaker, and author of the self-published book, Lies My Doctor Told Me. He has been practicing family medicine for over a decade. He is a board-certified family medicine practitioner and has been awarded the degree of fellow by the American Academy of Family Physicians. Having seen over 20,000 patients of all ages during his career, he is uniquely qualified to write on both acute and chronic illnesses. More and more, he is focused on the chronic diseases caused by the standard American diet and lifestyle and has made it his mission to turn the tide on the epidemic of type 2 diabetes, chronic inflammation, and dementia. Ken has four children, three dogs, two cats, and seven peacocks, He and his beautiful wife, Nisha, live on their family farm in Holiday, Tennessee. Welcome to the show today, Ken. Are you ready to rock our health? Heck yeah, let's do it. Sweet. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for me and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. I followed a a bit of a broken path. I didn't go straight through college and and med school. I I was an x-ray technologist for a few years, and I built custom cabinets for a few years. Wow. 
kind of did a lot of instruction and contracting for a few years. And so I think that kind of changed my brain and changed my paradigm in how I think about things. You tend to think about solving problems differently when you're a contractor or an engineer than you do when you're a doctor or yeah. a nutritionist or a dietitian. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's part of the reason that I wound up thinking the way I do as a doctor, because what I'm trying to do as a doctor is not prescribe the latest pill or order the most expensive tests. What I'm trying to do as a doctor is figure out the most important thing that you should do, the most important one or two things that you could do for the least amount of effort and the least amount of time that would have the most benefit for your health. And that's kind of how I've always practiced. And as years went by, it kind of, I think, became fairly popular. And so I have a thriving clinic here in Camden. I do a lot of online medical coaching as well for people Mm-hmm. who cannot drive to Camden. That's kind of it in a nutshell. I finally got here. I'm, I'm now board certified family physician and I see anywhere from 30 to 50 people a day in my clinic. And then I, you know, with the YouTube and the Facebook and, and the medical coaching, I take care of thousands more that I could never reach if it were not for the internet. Wow. How cool is that? Yeah, it's really fun. So you went back to school late in life, it sounds like. A little later. I, I think I got started it when I was 25 or 26 in med school. If you went straight through, you'd be 22 or 23. So I had about a four-year hiatus there where I was trying other things on and finally decided, because I'd been dreaming of being a doctor since I was old enough to remember, uh-huh. and various little personal things in my life cropped up, and I thought, well, there's no way I can do that. I can't have this life and be a you know go to medical school. And turns out I was wrong about that, as I've been wrong about many things, and I could go to medical school, and I could be a doctor despite whatever social and personal things, you know, were going on in my life. Right. Woohoo. Here's a high five to that. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. I actually went back to school late in life. I, I went back when I was 39 years old and got a bachelor's and a master's. And I'm a big, big believer in lifelong learning. So. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why I do what I do. So in your bio, you mention acute and chronic diseases. Can you just give us a quick picture of what that is? What the difference is? So I'm a family doctor, so I pretty much take care of all comers from newborns. And I think currently my oldest patient is 103. Wow. And so the age is really no barrier for me to be your doctor, number uh-huh. one. Number two, I might take care of someone in room two with, with chronic long-term hypertension, high cholesterol, and type 2 diabetes. And then I might go to room seven and sew up a laceration from mm. somebody who was playing with their brand new hunting knife and wasn't thinking about what they were doing. Got it. And then I might go to room three and clean the wax out of someone's ear and then I might go to room six and freeze a skin cancer off someone and then I might go back to room one and take care of somebody with a chronic eczema or psoriasis right. that they've had for years. It's like emergency medicine, but at a slower pace or uh, urgent care medicine at a slower pace. It's yeah. basically, that's what I do all day. Perfect. And really what you're after though, are the chronic diseases. More and more, you know, I mean, you can't really fault the guy for playing with his hunting knife. You know, that stuff right. happens. That's just, that's life. Life happens to you and there's not much you can do about that except roll with it. But the thing that really angered me and really motivated me and is now my driver is that the majority of chronic disease in America, the the majority of type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, hypertension, obesity, all those things are self-inflicted, number one. And number two, they're preventable. Number three, they're curable. You can cure them. And so there have been so many patients who I've seen who were told by their previous doctor or by their endocrinologist 
that type two diabetes is a chronic progressive permanent disease. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not true. That's like telling someone who's overweight, Oh, that's a chronic li- lifelong thing. You can never cure that. You're just overweight forever. Right. That's ridiculous. That's silly. But doctors actually tell patients that wow. now, if you have type one diabetes, currently we can't cure that. We can treat it, but we can't cure it. But type two mm-hmm. adult onset diabetes is a disease of diet and yeah. lifestyle. It's completely curable. And so the more I heard that and the more I saw in patients' eyes, they'd given up. I'm a type 2 diabetic. There's nothing I can do about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I really hate that when somebody doesn't feel empowered right? when they're not in control of their life. And if you have type 1 diabetes, you can still be in control of your life and control that disease, but you're kind of stuck with it currently. Right. But if you have type 2 diabetes, if you have most people with hypertension, everyone with insulin resistance, everyone with obesity, you can fix that. And so I'm the doctor who walks in the room and says, hey, you got this problem, but guess what? I can't fix it. But guess what? You can. And I'm going to teach you how. Wow. Well, you know, I have to throw out kudos to the hypertension piece. Six years ago, I was diagnosed with high blood pressure and the doctor wanted to put me on lisinopril or something like that. And, you know, I tried it for a few days and it impacted my life. And I said, you know what, not going here over the past three years, every time I see, so I have Lyme disease. My listeners know I have Lyme. And so Ah. I see, I see a, a nurse practitioner every two weeks to improve my holobiome, you know, improve my right, gut and right. all of that. So yes. I've really been working on my health. And I haven't had blood pressure, high blood pressure in her office in over two years. Isn't that nice? Yeah. 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 Or you could have just blindly rolled over and given up and taken your life center pill for life. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't really like that choice. I like the choice you made. And I'm very happy. It makes me happy that you knew the, the word holobiome or microbiome. That makes me very happy that when people know about the bacteria on them and in them, because that's a huge medical deal. Oh yeah, it's huge. In fact, why don't you say a little bit more about that? Because not everybody does. Well, part of what I do when I'm trying to help someone with a curable chronic disease, that's one of the things that I teach them is that, you know, basically you're, you're in partnership with the trillions of bacteria that live in you and on you. And, you know, it's really a rational question whether they belong to you or you belong to them. (laughs) Right. The numbers are about equal, and they may even outnumber us a little. Everybody's disagreeing about the numbers right now, but I think they probably outnumber us. So really, it's not our microbiome. It's their human is really how you should look at it because they outnumber you. Right. And so if you ignore this huge—I mean, it's it's by far the biggest organ of your body if you count— the bacteria that inhabit you as an organ, it's its far bigger than any other organ in your body. And so therefore, it must be just a common sense way of thinking. It must be pretty darn important, right? Right. And so part of what I help people understand is when you're eating the standard American diet, when you're eating just tons of processed carbs, you're selecting a certain kind of bacteria to live in your gut. And that kind of bacteria tends to make you overweight, tends to make you chronically inflamed and mm-hmm. chronically fatigued. And so when you start to eat a better diet that's more ancestrally appropriate, you can have a few days of not feeling great because those bacteria are going to kick up and they're going to protest. And they do that by secreting chemicals and they can make you feel really crappy. And some people call that the Atkins flu or the Banting flu or the keto flu. But that's just basically those bacteria throwing a conniption fit saying, hey, where are my Doritos and Twinkies, right? (laughs) Right, exactly. But when you persist in eating an ancestrally proper diet, 
then those bacteria eventually give up and they die and they start going away. Mm -hmm. And the good bacteria start to populate and start to take over. And, and that's part of the benefit of eating a proper diet is those bacteria tend to make you lose weight. They tend to make your blood pressure go down. They tend to make you lose weight. And so a lot of people, if they're not familiar with the gut biome or the microbiome or the holobiome, they're like, what, what do you mean the bacteria is making me do something? And it's absolutely without a doubt the the case your gut actually has more nerve endings in it than your brain does. Yeah. Your your gut is vitally important in guiding the entire organism that is you. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the zombie ants. Have you ever heard this story? No. There's an ant in Africa, this mm -hmm. big carpenter-looking ant, right? And there's a fungus that will infect the ant and actually get into his brain. And what the fungus wants is it wants this certain kind of leaf to be on the jungle floor. And so it will make the ant actually go to a specific kind of tree, climb the tree, and clamp onto a leaf and, and do whatever the fungus wants the ant to do with the leaf. And they're called zombie ants. You can Google this and read about it. It's the most fascinating thing wow. ever. The fungus actually hijacks the ant uh -huh. and makes him do, do his bidding. Mm. Now, of course, the ant dies in this process because he stops thinking like an ant and starts doing what the fungus wants him to do. So my whole point is, is if that's possible, then yes, it's possible for the bacteria in your gut to secrete chemicals and toxins or to cause your brain to secrete pleasure hormones uh -huh. and reinforce certain behaviors. And that's why a lot of people say, man, I, I'm addicted to sugar. Right. Yeah, you kind of are. Yes. The cause of the gut, the gut bacteria, they, they cause your body to secrete chemicals that basically act like endorphins or even opiates mm -hmm. in your brain. And so when you eat that Twinkie or that whatever, you do get the absolute same brain activation as you would get if you were smoking something you shouldn't be smoking. Yeah, well, and, you know, when you go off sugar or carbs, well, car sugar is a carb, but when you go off sugar right. or caffeine, you know, I've, I've had withdrawals from both of those in the past. It's funny how people, they have a different understanding of it because if, if an alcoholic, if he came to me and or he just maybe stood up in front of church and said, you know, I'm trying to quit this drinking, but every time I try to quit, after the day or two, I feel like crap. Mm -hmm. And so I go back to drinking. Every single person there would be like, dude, what's wrong with you? Don't do that. That's just the alcoholism. That's alcohol. It's withdrawals. But when somebody says, hey, I'm trying to quit the standard American diet, <laughs> and every, every time I try to quit it, I feel really miserable for two or three days. And so I just go back to eating my normal diet. Everyone in the room just nods their head like, yep, that's what you should have done. Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute. Do you guys not see the parallel here? Yeah. What's wrong with you? That's the same exact concept. If this person were smoking crack and they said, oh, every time I try to stop, I have withdrawal. So I'll go back to smoking crack. You'd be all up in their face. Right. Why are you not up in their face? This morbidly obese person in your church or in your social circle. And they say, well, I tried the keto diet or the paleo diet, but I, I had really bad keto flu or I just felt miserable. So I just went back to eating my regular stuff mm -hmm. and everybody nods in agreement and hands him a piece of cake. <laughs> I don't get that. Right. I'm at a loss for words. I don't either. <laughs> but I, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to change that paradigm so that everybody just intuitively understands if you are withdrawing from something, then that's probably bad for you. It's probably bad to start with. So you probably should get through the withdrawals and then never do that again. Yeah. And so it's it, just like alcoholism, just like drugs of abuse. There are foods of abuse. And once you have broken the addiction from your foods of abuse, that's a good term. I'm going to need to write that down and use oh, that yeah. again later. Please. Then, you know, don't ever go back to that because then you'll be addicted again to that bad food of abuse. 
So I think that's an excellent way for people to think about it. And once you put it like that, most people, they get that nod like, oh, yeah, I see what you're talking about. I probably shouldn't go back to my old way of eating ever then, if that's right. the case. You know, I'm just going to do one more shout out. A year and a half ago, I stopped eating grain, just completely cut them out. And, you know, besides the fact that our modern day grains in this country are so incredibly polluted and hybridized the not be good food for us. Truth. Besides all of that, getting off of it has made me feel so much better. And I've lost 20 pounds. I can see my Absolutely. feet again. I'm back to my high school weight. It's yeah, it's so incredibly cool. That's so common when people just stop sugar and grains. For, yeah. for many, many people, that's all it takes. Some people have to get a little more involved. But for most people, those two changes alone can literally change your, your life, yeah. change your weight change your waistline, and change your pharmacy bill. Yeah, big time. Big time on the pharmacy bill. So let's talk about your book, The Lies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's why we're here. <laughs> Lies My Doctor Told Me. So how did this come about? And tell us a little bit about it. So like I hinted at earlier, being a, a kind of a construction contractor engineer mentality makes you think about things differently. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times doctors come to medical school and, and being a doctor straight through the academic process. And they don't really have time to have to, to live in the real world, right. as I call it, right? Yep. And to understand that if, if you throw this ball at this angle, at this speed, then it will bounce off the, the wall at a predictable angle and speed. Everything in life kind of works that way if you think about it from a physics kind of standpoint. And a lot of doctors don't really get a lot of that. And so when, when the American Diabetic Association tells doctors, hey, you know, diabetics should eat probably about 50 grams of carbs per meal. They should eat six to 10 servings of whole grain every day. They should drink skim milk. To a doctor who's come straight through the academic process and only has just learned what he's been taught right. and has done what he's been told, those things don't throw up red flags at all. Right. He's like, okay, all right, at, that's the American Diabetic Association. If anybody should know, they should know, right? Right. And so he immediately starts proselytizing that to his patients. And indeed, that's what I did the first two or three years of my practice. I would tell people to eat lots of whole grains because that's a complex carb. I would tell them to drink skim milk because the whole milk might cause their cholesterol to go up. I would tell them to eat lots of servings of fruit every day because that's natural and it's good for you. And I, I noticed none of my patients were losing weight. They're, in fact, they're all slowly but surely gaining weight and getting worse. Yeah. Now, I, as a doctor, and we're also taught to think this way, that all patients are non-compliant. And so in my mind, I, I could visualize my patients sneaking around and eating bacon and, and sneaking around and, you know, eat, drinking whipping cream and, and doing all these things that were making them gain this weight. Never did I dream that it was my advice that was making them gain the weight. How did you discover that? Well, it, it was it was actually a self-discovery because as the first five, six, seven years of my practice went by, I started gaining weight. I'd reached that, you know, kind of in your 30s mm -hmm. where things don't work like they once did. And so I, I looked up one day and I was very busy in my practice. So it's almost literally true that I looked in the mirror one day and I was a fat doctor. I had gained about 60 pounds. Wow. My hemoglobin A1C was, was up to 5.9. My triglycerides were high. My blood pressure was going up. I was always irritable. I had heartburn. I had dandruff. I had reflux. I was miserable yeah. all the time. And I attributed it to the stress. It's very stressful running a clinic. But then I thought, well, so I'm, I'm raised in the South. And so I'm pretty much, I've heard the story of the preacher 
who said, do as I say, not do as I do many, many times. And I'm sure your reader, your listeners are familiar oh, yeah. with that story. Yeah. And so I was not going to be that preacher. I wasn't going to be that doctor, that fat doctor that walked into the room and proceeded to tell you how to be healthier because that, I mean, I can't, I, that's not my style. I just mm-hmm. can't do that. And so I thought, well, I've got to freshen up on my nutrition because obviously I have forgotten something or I missed something. And so I climbed up in the attic and I got down all my nutrition notes and you might, you know, your listeners might be thinking of this huge stack of stuff, you know, big tomes and, but literally I could hold every bit of it between two fingers yep. as I came down the stairs, thumb yep. and thumb and forefinger. It was one paperback book. that was very small it was about a half semester's worth of notes, and that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought then, you know, I should have probably been taught more about nutrition, but this this is surely all I needed to know because this is all they taught me. Right. So I got it all on the kitchen table, and I went through it all, and I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm not eating enough whole grains, and maybe, I'm, maybe I need to start jogging. And so I added more whole grains, and I, I removed all the saturated fat, and I started jogging a couple of miles a day. And I did that faithfully for a couple of months and I jumped on the scales and I had gained 10 more pounds. And it was at that moment that I said, you know what? The common sense country boy in me said, you know, maybe you're full of crap. Maybe you don't know what you're talking about. Maybe the advice you've been giving these people is exactly wrong. And that's, that was my wake up moment. It's like, wow. Wow. Cause, cause I could always use my patience of non-compliance, but I couldn't accuse, I couldn't (laughs) accuse myself of non-compliance because I live with me. I live with me. I knew what I was eating and doing and I was eating no saturated fat at all. Uh Tons of whole grain. I was jogging. I was doing sit-ups and it was none of that was working. Mm -hmm. And so I had to go back to square one and basically get a, an unofficial degree in nutrition, I had to self-teach myself human nutrition. Yeah. And so I did that by way of tattered old paper book, copy of a book called The Atkins Diet. Oh, yeah. And then I read a book called The Primal Blueprint by Mark Sisson. Then I read a book called The Paleo Diet by Lauren Cordain. And those three books kind of blended together were kind of the nexus of me saying, oh, everything I was taught about human nutrition is exactly wrong. Wow. Yeah. And so I started applying those things to my life that Mm -hmm. I learned in those books. I stopped jogging and started applying those nutritional principles. I lost 20, 30 pounds. My triglycerides were coming down. My A1C was coming down. I was feeling better. My heartburn started to go away. My dandruff completely went away. And I kept doing them and kept being more and more adherent to those principles. And I lost back down to my my pre-practice weight. Yep. And I carry I carry that weight to this day and by eating those principles. And mm-hmm. it's kind of morphed into a paleo slash ancestral slash ketogenic diet. And that's kind of what I live. If I need to lose weight, I, I'll move over to the ketogenic for a few months. And then when I get to where I want to be, I kind of slide back into a paleo ancestral diet. And that's where I live is somewhere on that spectrum. Yeah. And never, never do whole grains pass my lips ever. Right. Except maybe Christmas. So yeah, I don't want to go. make my grand, my grandmother mad, so I have to eat the stuffing in a roll or she'll get mad at me. Yeah. Earlier, you mentioned the three most important things to do. Can we touch on those? It's all about what you eat mm-hmm. and how you live your life. Those are really the two. And then, you know, you have to, the third thing is you have to learn these things. So you, you have to continually be increasing your knowledge of these things. Yeah. But you've got to fix your diet. That's the number one thing or nothing else really falls into into place until you fix your diet. That's by far the most important thing. Because, you know, there are many doctors who, if you ask them how to lose weight, they'll tell you to join the gym. Right. And that's utter bunk. 
that it's been proven actually in huge medical studies that these doctors evidently don't know about mm -hmm. that exercise is great for your body in thousands of ways, but it's a terrible method of weight loss. Right. It doesn't work at all for that. It's been proven. And how many people have joined the gym and tried for a month or two and it's like, well, this ain't working. And then they quit mm -hmm. because it doesn't work. Yeah. And so you, if you're, if you want to lose weight, if you want to improve the chronic diseases in your life, you've got a number one fix your diet. So how would you go about coaching someone to figure that out for themselves? Well, I do a lot of the coaching for absolutely for free on the YouTube channel and, and my Facebook page. I, uh -huh. I talk about this stuff all the time. I think I've got over a hundred videos now on the YouTube channel, but basically you have to change the way you think. And I, I tell people, I'm going to symbolically, figuratively take your brain out of your head, turn it around and upside down and then put it back in. And <laughs> right. then you'll be, then you'll be thinking about your diet and nutrition the proper way, because everything we've been taught by television, by magazines, by your health teacher in high school, by your nutrition professor in college or in medical school was absolutely wrong. Mm -hmm. And so we have to, the very, and so a lot of times the first time or two, I see somebody in my office, I'll take very little baby steps with them. I won't try to just throw all this <laughs> at them at once right? because you, you can't because their brain's not ready for mm -hmm. it. It'd be like, it'd be like trying to tell somebody that there's life on other planets and here's 800 pages of proof. First, they've got to accept that first huge nugget. Right. And, and chew on that for a while. And then they're ready to start looking at the evidence and stuff. And so when I say, hey, you really need to stop eating all grains. I mean, that's usually that's it. The first visit they're done because that wipes out everything that they've been told by multiple air quote experts. Right. And so it really has to be in baby steps. And that's why I love the YouTube channel, because I can plant a seed or two, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then they can go and watch some videos while those seeds are sprouting and growing. Yeah. Because I can't I can't grow that plant to, to fruition in one visit. And so I'll plant a seed or two and I'll give them some handouts and some information to say, go check out the YouTube channel and come see me in a month. Then when they come back, they've got all these questions because they're like, now, wait a minute. Everybody's <laughs> always told me the following, but you said something completely backwards. Mm -hmm. And when I do it your way, I actually feel better and lose weight. Imagine that. How can that be so in, in the world that I thought that I lived in? How can it be true that this little doctor in Camden, Tennessee is fixed to me when these other 15 doctors in Nashville and St. Louis, they were exactly wrong. How mm -hmm. is that possible? And I have to shake my head and say, dude, it's that way about a lot of things in life. Oh, okay, yeah. It's not just medicine. There's a lot of things that you think you know and think you understand, and you really don't have a clue as what the truth of the matter actually is about it. This is just about nutrition. Yeah. There's another piece to going off grains that is hard. And that is that it is so ingrained, pun intended, in our yes. culture. When you stop to think about how many things that are mm -hmm. grain-based in our lives. Yes. It's a huge change. It's everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's a huge change. And for some people, it actually touches on their religion. Yep. For everybody, it touches on their earliest childhood memories. Mm -hmm. And it also, basically, I'm telling them that their mama was wrong. You know, and so you have to also deal with that because, you know, mama used to say whole grain skim milk, you know, mm -hmm. margarine. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. I, you need to always love and respect your mother. But mama was wrong. OK. And so never tell that. But you have to stop eating that stuff. Yeah. And so it really is a huge paradigm shift because I'm not just saying, hey, stop, stop eating, you know, brown bread and go to white bread because that's really the same thing. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 
this is a literal shift in the paradigm of mm -hmm. how they think about everything that they thought they knew about nutrition and health. It takes a minute for the average person who's busy with their own life and their own drama to go, whoa, I need to stop and really give this some serious thought and really reassess everything I thought I knew about this. And you know, as well as I do, that takes a lot of effort. Oh yeah. And some people aren't ready for that. And I'm, I have to also be ready to see that in their eyes. Oh, you're not ready to hear this yet. Okay. I'm going to plant a couple of seeds and, and we're still friends and you come back and see me if you need to. And, and very often I'll have that person come back in a year or two, all excited about this ketogenic diet that they discovered on somebody else's YouTube channel. And I'm <laughs> right. like, yeah, yeah, he's exactly right. And I don't even take credit for it. I'm like, yeah, he's right. You should do that. And it's, it's funny to watch how the, mm -hmm. their mental processes work. Yeah. I'm just now a year and a half later getting comfortable with this new way of eating. I'm not even going to call it a diet. It's just a new way of eating that is right. You know, mostly vegetarian and it's 99.9% .9 grain free Right. You know, and it it's something big to have to wrap your head around, but you can bet your life on it. Absolutely. Yes. And I suspect that's why you wrote this book. It is because there are multiple things like that in medicine that smart doctors who should know better. They just tell patient lies. And, and the reason I called it lies, your doctor told you, was because I almost went with a publishing house, but they wanted me to change the name to medical myths or myths, your doctor told you. And I'm like, yeah, no. no. And here's why. If your hairdresser tells you, hey, you know, you should eat more whole grains. It's really good for you. And you listen to your hairdresser, mm -hmm. then that's your fault, right? That's your problem, your fault. Your hairdresser is not in any way a professional. She's not been trained. She, she doesn't even have to know. She doesn't have to pretend to know. It's not her fault, right? Right. But if a nutritionist or a dietitian or a doctor whose job it is to know about the care and feeding of human beings, that's your one and only job. You're licensed in that. If you tell somebody something that's wrong, that's more than just, oh, well, I just made a mistake or, oh, it's just a myth. I don't know. No, that's pretty much a, that's that's a legal a lie. lie. Yeah. You, you, it's a lie. Exactly. And so I lied to many of my patients the first few years in practice, not intentionally, but you and I both know you can, you can tell a lie that's not intentional. And that's what I was doing. I just didn't know better at the time. Yeah. I should have, but I didn't. But now I do. And so basically, I'm using this, this second half of my career to right all the wrongs that I caused in the first half. Because I, I'm sure that I hurt people with my terrible advice. Yeah. I'm sure that there were heart attacks and strokes and, and toes cut off because of my stupidity of just not knowing better. And so part of the reason I wrote this book was to try to correct those things mm -hmm. and, and help other doctors, even though they may not like my help or my style of help, they still need my help. And to help patients not fall for this stuff when they're told this at their doctor's office. I'm going to adjust something in your speaking, if if you don't mind. It really wasn't stupidity. It was you just didn't know any better. It was ignorance. Yeah, it was ignorance. Yeah, it was I ignorance. Didn't know exactly. But as, so as I went through my practice, I kind of kept a mental little list of these things. And one of the very first things, I'll tell you the first one that ever popped up to me. When I was a intern, I was on the obstetrics rotation and we were delivering babies. Uh -huh. And so you're on call, you're on call for 24 hours delivering all comers. Anybody who comes in in labor, you're, you deliver them for 24 hours. Then the next day 
you do all the circumcisions if, if ever, anybody wants one, and then you discharge all the vaginal deliveries home the next day. Uh-huh. And so we would write the mom a few pain pills and a few anti-inflammatories to take just in case she needed them. And then the chief resident said, oh, Barry, don't forget to write the babies their vitamin D drops. And I said, well, I'd never heard of that. I'm, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. He said, well, humans don't secrete vitamin D in their breast milk, so you have to write the baby's vitamin D drops or they'll get rickets. And I was like, oh, I've never, wow. okay, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So I started doing that. But at the time I thought, how the heck did we run around in the jungle and on the savannah and the plain <laughs> for the last few thousand years and not all die of broken femurs and tibias because we, we had rickets because our mothers didn't give us our vitamin D drops. Mm-hmm. So immediately a red flag, you know, that's that common sense country boy, like what? That don't make no sense. Right. And so, but, but I was very, you know, as an intern, you don't question. You just say, yes, sir, and move exactly. on. It's kind of like being a, a buck private in the military. Uh-huh. You don't question the sergeant. You just write down what he said and do it. But I filed that away mentally for later research. And I found out when I had time that there was actually a doctor in the Carolinas who had researched this because he also thought that sounded bunky. And so he found out that once you start giving a woman about five or 6,000 units of vitamin D3 a day, guess what she secretes in abundance in her breast milk? Vitamin D. Vitamin D. And yep. so the re- the reason nobody in America or in the Western world secretes vitamin D in the breast milk is because they're deficient in vitamin D. Once And once you correct that, either with eating a lot, lots of fatty foods or with just getting lots more sunlight, they start making plenty of vitamin D for their baby. And that's how we used to do it a thousand years ago. Yeah. Nobody had vitamin D drops. They just ate lots of fatty meat and they, and they were in the sun all day. And so they got plenty of vitamin D. That's a huge study. And that study was published actually in the New England Journal of Medicine. Wow. So it's not like it's some little hidden study off in some little tiny journal. Mm-hmm. But to this day, there are still doctors who tell mothers, you got to give your baby vitamin D drops to this very day. Even though that was published, I think, back in 2012 or 2014. Yeah. Wow. So you see the point here is that doctors are busy. Yes. Doctors don't have time to read everything that's published. Yes, that's correct. But if you don't have enough common sense to go, wait, what? That don't make no sense. <laughs> right. Wait, right? What? Yeah. If, if you don't have the common sense to do that, then uh-huh. you, you need to step up your reading and read more. Because if I if that hadn't just you know tickled my spidey sense, so to speak— I would have, I would have still been doing it to this day. I would have never thought about that, but I just thought, what? That makes no sense at all based on how I understand the human organism. And we've been here on this planet a long time and vitamin D drops have been around at best for what? 20, 30 years. Maybe. So how in the world did we get by before then? And, and obviously that chief resident, who's a very smart fellow, he had never considered that. Yeah. He had never thought of that, right? He never thought about it. Exactly right. Yeah, he just never thought about it. It was just he just accepted it blindly and moved on. And that's what many, many doctors do. And that's why I say in the book, don't necessarily blame your doctor. Try to try to wake your doctor up. Try to say, hey, well, look, I printed this out. What do you think about this? And if you've got a, a good guy there who's good at heart, he'll look at that. He'll go, I don't know, I'm busy, but let me take a look at this later. But if you've got a doctor who's immediately offended that you've mm-hmm. brought in, that, that you had the temerity to think about your own health, you maybe need to find a new doctor. I was going to say, yeah. get a new doctor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly how I put it in the book is try to train your doctor. But if you can't find a new one yeah. because you deserve a partner in your health, you don't want, you don't want a dictator. You need a partner. Amen to that. So your book is lies. My doctor told me it's available on Amazon. We'll have a link on the show notes page over to Amazon to pick that book up. 
Excellent. Thank you so much for that. You bet. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. So I'm kind of a stoic at heart. And so I don't really believe in failure. Ah. I truly in my heart believe that every stumbling block is mm-hmm. truly a stepping stone. That's how I've kind of always looked at life is when something gets in my path, I think, hmm, I wonder how I can use this. That's actually really beautiful because that's the reason I asked this question. Well, I guess my biggest failure in air quotes would be my little detour I had. It was my oldest son who was born and kind of unplanned, unintended, but it was definitely a surprise and, and a good surprise. But he's just graduated law school a couple oh, years back. Oh, nice. Yeah, and he's so much smarter than me. He makes me look dumb. But, you know, a lot of people at that moment in my life would have said, oh, what a terrible mistake you've made. And you're done. You're never going anywhere now. But that that doesn't have to be that way. And I really want everybody to understand that. I mean, you don't you don't go to to med school with kids. That It's very rare, but it's also very possible. It's totally yeah. doable. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing right now that you're thinking, there's no way I can do that. Yeah, you can. You can do that. <laughs> you just got to change how you look at that stumbling block and, and look at it as, a, as something to get up on so you can have a better vantage point. But yeah, I would say that was that. And, and obviously, you know, now I don't consider that a mistake at all. I consider that just a, a, a broadening of my life experience. Well, and a huge blessing, it sounds like. Absolutely a huge blessing. He's a great guy. So what do you consider your biggest success? I guess my biggest success would be founding this little clinic in Camden, Tennessee, and having it turn into what it has turned into mm. and what it's becoming. I'm very proud of that because I grew up in a family of workers, very hard workers, very smart people, but nonetheless worker bees. You know yeah. what I mean by that? Oh, yeah. Not entrepreneurs at all. Entrepreneurship was looked at as one step removed from insanity in my family. You know what Sometimes I'm saying? Sometimes it is, crazy. Yeah. So you're going to give up a paycheck? No, what, are you crazy? So yeah, and, and so I guess that's my biggest success in life so far is, is just creating a successful medical practice. Yeah. So what drives you? Over the past few years, what's come to drive me, and, and my wife would really say that it really drives me, okay? Like it's almost a, a passion or an obsession, mm-hmm. is I am obsessed with changing the curve of the obesity mm. and type 2 diabetes epidemics in America. Mm-hmm. Not just in my town, not just in my state, but in this country. Yeah, There is an ep- epidemic of obesity and everybody, every doctor, everybody's like, I don't really know. We don't really know what's going on. And I'm like, what? Yeah, you do. <laughs> Stop telling people to eat crap. That'll yeah. fix it, right? Right. And so it's really become my mission to help as many people as I can take charge of their obesity and, and fix it. Take charge of their insulin resistance and fix it. Take charge of their type 2 diabetes and, and cure it. Yeah. I mean, that really is a passionate drive for me. And I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. Yeah. Well, it's what gets you up in the morning, it sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely does. It gets me fired up. You may be able to tell that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can hear that. Definitely. Well, in, 19, in 1991, I did a workshop at a place called Landmark Education. It was called their advanced course. And I created myself to be the person on the planet responsible for transforming our global food system. Ah, nice. Yeah, it's what gets me up in the morning. Will I do it? Who knows? But that doesn't matter. It's what gets me up in the morning and gets me motivated and passionate and why I've done 340 podcasts and I'll do 340 more, you know? Exactly. That's a beautiful goal. Yeah, as is yours. All you listeners out there, please listen to this. 
we need to take on those kind of epic movements, epic goals in our lives to change our culture because there's so many things that are broken. Wouldn't you think? Absolutely. Not just our food system, not just our medical system. Many other systems are badly bent, if not broken. And they need somebody to just say, you know what? I'm tired of that crap. And just make yourself the expert and fix it. That's all it takes. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Awesome. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Ooh, ooh, I read lots of books far and wide. I'll bet. Let me say, can I can I say one and then give kudos to another? Please. Okay. So the one that I would say, if everybody, if anybody really is interested in what I'm talking about here today, I would say a great place to start is a book called The Primal Blueprint, written by a fellow named Mark Sisson. This is one of the very first books I read that changed the way I think about human health and nutrition. And he basically looks at it and not from, you know, we always say caveman, but basically from somebody who lived 10,000 years ago. How did they live? What did they eat? What did they do? How did they move? What did they have to eat? And so by reading that book, that's a, that would be a huge step in you mm, understanding right. the paradigm of how you're actually supposed to, to feed and care for a human being. I mean, you know, we've, we've got examples of, of animals that lived in the zoo that we just fed them, you know, Perina dog chow. We didn't know. It's like, ah, oh, they're just animals. I don't know. But they would get sick. They would get terrible skin problems and they would die prematurely. Mm-hmm. Turns out that if you feed an animal, animal in the zoo, what they eat in the wild, they do much better. You what think? a concept, yeah, right? Exactly. What a concept. And so I think that same thing applies to human beings. And so this book would be a great way for you to start to understand how your grandmother of five or 10,000 years ago actually lived and ate. Yeah. And that, that'd be the book I'd recommend. And then there's this little book called The New Square Foot Gardening or something like that by a fellow named Mel Bartholomew. Oh, yes. And it's about, it's about square foot gardening. And I love that book. I've probably read it four or five times. And I have about 400 or 500 square feet of square foot garden in my backyard. Nice. And I love, love yeah. growing stuff that way. And I, I go vertical. I use the exact kind of little setup with the electrical conduit. Mm-hmm. The netting, I use the exact netting that he says to use, and I grow my cucumbers up that, and I just grow all this food in the backyard that's essentially organic, essentially pure, and probably has twice the nutrition of anything that I could get in the grocery store. And so I really love that book, Square Foot Garden Method, maybe is what it's called. Yeah, there's multiple ones out by Mel Bartholomew. Yes, love that book. Perfect. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Final advice would be not to accept any advice blindly from any expert. Mm-hmm. You're not a sheep. You're not a lemming. You should never just follow blindly. That's not the calling of humans. We're not supposed to do that. So stop doing that. And obviously, I'm talking about medicine. So if you go to your doctor and he says, oh, you've got this, this, and this, you need to take these three pills. Don't blindly do that. There's this thing out now called the internet <laughs> where you can... Literally, you can go to Mm -hmm. a website called PubMed.gov, and you can read the exact same research studies that your doctor can read for free, right? And Mm -hmm. if you don't have an internet at your house, go to the public library. You can get on it there for free. In two hours of reading, you can become as smart as the average doctor about one or two medical topics that you might have. Why would you blindly accept the advice of a mechanic who says, oh, you need a new motor and a new transmission? You wouldn't accept that. You'd be like, what? I'm going to go down here and talk to Hal, this other shade tree mechanic, and see what he thinks about that. Uh You should do that same thing with your medical care and with your nutrition. Don't blindly accept what I say. Double check it. Google it. Look it up because you only have one life to live. 
And if you accept bad advice and your health suffers from it, I'm not going to suffer. If I gave you the bad advice, I'm going to be doing fine. I'll be out on the golf course, right? And you'll be the one who's suffering and your family will be suffering because you messed up your one human life by taking bad advice. Don't do that. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Ken. Oh, it's been a pleasure. We should do this again sometime. All right. So your book, Lies My Doctor Told Me, is available on Amazon. We'll have a link for it on our show notes page. How else can people get a hold of you? I also do quite a bit of work on YouTube. And if you just search for Dr. Ken Berry on YouTube, I think I pop up number one. And then the same way I have a Facebook page, I have about 10,000 following it right now. And so just search Dr. Ken Berry on Facebook and it'll pop up. And I'm always posting ideas and articles. I also do stuff on Instagram and Twitter as well. But YouTube and Facebook are my main ways of reaching people. I'm always posting new videos. And if you'd like to see a video done about something, all you have to do is send me a message on the Facebook page and Uh I'd be happy to look into it. Yeah. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Ken D. Berry, MD. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. My intent with the Urban Farm Podcast is to educate and inform. So when I find a particularly good opportunity, I want to share it with everyone. The 2018 Food Revolution Summit is one of them. As you listen, you will be informed inspired and motivated to improve your health. You'll get cutting edge insights and information from 24 of the top food and health experts in the world. Hosted by my friend Ocean Robbins with interviews conducted by best-selling author John Robbins. This annual week-long online event is free to attend. You will learn from experts you can trust about how to improve your health and reduce your risk of chronic disease. Sign up at urbanfarm.org forward slash summit to join the revolution. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free 
to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.